Hi, I'm Nick Davis, and I'm the founding partner of NHD Tax Solutions Limited. And I'm Sarah Scala, partner at NHD Tax Solutions Limited, and founder of the Contentious Tax Group. Well, it's lovely to be uh, to be back here. I say back here, different setting to last time when uh, Nick, you and I sat down to um, to do this around about a year ago. Obviously, a lot's changed. You're in a new office, which is brilliant. And I think plenty of other stuff's um, changed as well. So just bring us up to speed with everything from the world of NHD. It has changed a lot in the last year. Um, I think the last time you were here, there were four of us, including me. And then we got to the end of last year and there are now 10 of us, including me. Uh, and yes, we've had an office move. We had to bite the bullet on that. We were in serviced office space before, just around the corner. We've moved about 300 yards. Uh, and that was great. And, and, you know, certainly in terms of incubating the business uh, from the beginning, um, you know, to have those added services such as a reception area and uh, all the rest of it uh, helped us enormously. But realistically, we, we'd outgrown it by the middle of last year, really, uh, with the additional staff that came on board. We are expecting further growth. Uh, I'm not sure it'll be quite as dramatic as it's been in the last year, but we, uh, uh, we've got somebody coming in for a second interview who would be number 11 on the payroll, and I doubt it'll stop there. So, uh, yeah, we took out a lease on these premises, bit the bullet on that, and uh, it, it's more than comfortable for us at the moment, but more importantly, it, it should uh, allow our growth, um, certainly over the... Uh, over the next four or five years. The last 12 months has very much been a story of growth. And I think the next 12 months, to a degree, are going to be all about consolidating yep. uh, the the position we now find ourselves in. The biggest change uh, was that it became apparent to me, probably the best part of a year ago, that um, although we were growing in terms of both you know, caseworkers to do the work, uh, and also our admin resource. Um, there was only really me at the top of the business doing all those things that, that the leader of a professional services business has to do. Sure. There was a need which, uh, as the year progressed, became ever more desperate, and uh, enter, enter Sarah, <laughs> uh, who joined the, the partnership late last year and uh, has certainly hit the ground running. I'm... Not a young man. I know I look it, but I'm not. Um, so, uh, you know, over the next few years, um, Sarah very much represents the future, really, and uh, is working alongside me to to grow and, and, and develop the business and to uh, see it achieve the massive potential that we think it's already proved that it's got. Brilliant. Well, Sarah, welcome. Thank you. So I know you joined the business in November. Yes, mid-November. The office move was in December. Small matter of Christmas in there as well. So we are, what, just end of January, beginning of February as we sit down now. So, I mean, a, a fairly whirlwind start, I guess, for, for you. Talk to us a little bit about how you found things. Very much a whirlwind start when it came to handing noticing at my former <laughs> <laughs> to my former employer and uh, I think I started here Nick within two weeks of that didn't I um, so I rang Nick told him that I had communicated the decision then uh, talked on for a further 10 minutes or so and Nick said but when are you coming and I'd forgotten that uh, key detail which actually <laughs> didn't, didn't give the business uh, much time at all to prepare for my arrival 
But yeah, it was a case of uh, Nick and I were in discussions from about the summer um, in a serious way about how it would all work. And so it, it was clear in my mind that that was the way forward and I was really excited by it. So I uh, couldn't wait to get started. And then day to day, I feel not very much has changed in terms of what I do day to day and the type of potential clients I'm talking to and the routes through which they reach me, whether it be a long-standing referral network. Mm -hmm. So uh, really unfazed by this and just trying to do all the right things at the right time and uh, experience tells you that that pays off. Excellent. It was a very grand introduction from uh, Nick, who referred to you as the future of the business, which is, <laughs> uh, I think, a, a, a wonderful phrase. But tell us a little bit about your past then. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I've been working full time on tax disputes for over 10 years now, and eight of those were with one of the big six accountancy firms. So I worked my way through the ranks, working very closely with a partner, the same partner for that whole eight years. So gained my experience there across a suite of tax disputes, services, both civil matters and criminal matters. And there I was earmarked as his successor. So even as far back as I'd say 2018, I knew that I'd I'd learned how to run a business of this type and Mm -hmm. it was a case of finding the right opportunity to do that. And I was confident that I I could make the decisions needed at the top. So I moved on from there and I've spent the past two years working for an excellent tax consultancy business. Um, And I was brought in to establish and develop this service line for them. And it was through that that I first came across Nick on LinkedIn about six months into the NHD journey where I saw a LinkedIn post from Nick about his success in that first six months. And I reached out to him, said that I could see similarities in what we were each trying to establish and achieve. And from then on, we spoke monthly as a support network where we each acknowledged back then that neither of us had tax disputes colleagues in a team around us and I remember on the very first of those calls Nick said great we'll keep these conversations going each month and as far as I'm concerned I consider you a colleague well here we are (laughs) (laughs) in business together quite literally a colleague Mm. great um Obviously, the, uh, the the tax world, I guess, is ever changing. Um, you know, we we sat down around this table, Nick, uh, or, or a similar table, a year ago, um, and talked a little bit about kind of what the landscape was was looking like at, at that time. How have things changed in terms of um, HMRC and and everything that's been kind of going on within within your world? Well, it, it changes. It feels almost weekly, right? Uh, and in fact, that that's the reality because um, you know a lot of what we do is informed by or driven by decisions in tax cases, either in the tax tribunal or the higher courts. So one of the things that we we have certainly done uh, over the last year is to uh, increase uh, and expand the specialisms we have within the firm uh, to be able to adapt to, in particular, changes around things like research and development, tax relief, 
I think it's an important point to make. This is by no means uh, the Sarah and Nick show. Uh, we have an extremely strong and expanding team of excellent specialists who all excel within their own field. So we've made two promotions to director uh, in the last 12 months. Uh, Rebecca has become our director of operations um, and uh, Edward, um, who's as well as being a tax consultant, is also a master of laws who's currently doing doctoral research around the degree to which outer space is a tax point. Um, he's our technical director. He, he's got a brain the size of a planet, so I suppose from around <laughs> down to space uh, works very well for him. So I, I can't work out if you're joking about that or not. No. I'm not joking about that. Wow. Uh, I think he's fairly unique within the profession. So because of the sheer variety of what we do and the constant new challenges that are, that are thrown at us by, by HMRC activity, um, you know, Sarah and I are very reliant on as I say, a really excellent team to keep us abreast of all of the developments and to be able to obtain uh, outstanding results for the clients, which, uh, you know, I'm very happy to say that we do now as a matter of course. But in terms of uh, what's changed with regards to HMRC activity, I'll let you talk about that, Sarah. I, I feel certainly that we have, well, for two reasons I've seen an increase. Firstly, in joining NHD, you know, Nick told me he was busy throughout our entire two-year dialogue, and uh, that's definitely the case. Um, there's clearly a brand here that is pulling in the opportunities that Nick has carefully created and, and is very prominent in the tax disputes marketplace. And also, I would say that in the last six months or so, we're finally seeing more activity sort of nationwide and firm-wide from HMRC in terms of commencing new investigations and inquiries. And I'd say it's quite varied, the the sort of things they're looking at. Um, I mean, one thing that was funny a couple of weeks ago is I was on a call with my contentious tax group members, which we can uh, revisit what that group's about later. Sure. And one of the members pointed out that they had bumped into one of the HMRC, senior HMRC fraud investigation service individuals that we have a dialogue with. And he said, so I have had a word with her and asked her if she can have a look at the criminal cases on the books and see whether any can be closed down because they've been open for such a long time. During that group meeting, one of the other criminal lawyers said, well, that's funny you should say that because last week I had six letters through on six different cases saying that my cases have been closed with no further action. So we had a bit of a laugh about it that one of the criminal lawyers had tried to push HMRC to closing some cases down and it was one of the other group members that uh, sort of got the good news come through to the inbox. So we're seeing... That more commercial approach where HMRC is saying, right, we've had a stab at this. It's been going on for years. We've not raised any charges yet. It's about time we drew a line under this one. And equally, another gentleman on the call said, and I've seen some new criminal cases opened in the past week. So there's definitely movement there. Old legacy cases being closed down, new ones being opened. I've had a new client sign up this week. He's being invited for an interview under caution about a tax irregularity. 
I'd say one thing that we'd like to see more on um, is HMRC using its Code of Practice 9 powers to investigate more serious tax fraud. And whilst there are cases of that nature going on, they are mostly, I'd say as much as 90-something percent of them are cases that we have approached HMRC with and say, there is fraud that's taken place here. Can we agree with you to disclose it under this process? Mm. That process can also be used if HMLC choose to investigate using it. But from what I hear, there are very few of those cases which doesn't connect with what we hear in the more mainstream media about mm. how much fraud is taking place. So at some point you wonder if HMRC need to be held to account saying if, if you use this better and you trained people better then there, there are some easy wins here that you uh, should be having a look at. I want to kick you two out and get Edward in because I just want to talk about that. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds amazing. So, I think he's on a Saturday this afternoon. That's Saturday this afternoon. <laughs> when he gets back, send him in. Yeah. Uh, what are your kind of, I don't know, predictions, expectations as 2024 goes on from, I, I guess, from an HMRC point of view in terms of the things that you're expecting to be working on? Is it is it kind of a you know, similar sort of pattern? R&D research and development this is a big big thing with hmrc at the moment right uh, so just to briefly explain the background to it for for quite a large number of years now very uh, advantageous tax reliefs have been offered for businesses that undertake research and development to the degree that they receive quite substantial uh, tax repayments yep annually and because Politically, you know, the government has always obviously wanted to encourage R&D because it helps to grow the economy. Obviously, all of the claims that have been made have always tended to go through on the nod. And it's been a very nice source of income. Thank you very much for thousands and thousands of companies who have purported to be undertaking research and development. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, and this is absolutely nothing new within our profession, we've seen this over many decades with a lot of different things, there have been uh, a number of um, small R&D boutiques who have serially submitted inappropriate claims where actually there has been no identifiable R&D, which has been at immense cost to the exchequer. So over the last couple of years, HMRC have absolutely turned their attention to this. And in typical HMRC fashion, they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And they're now, as a matter of routine, really, denying R&D claims and making the taxpayer company jump through all sorts of hoops to obtain the relief. In pretty well all cases, even where it is... uh, fully legitimate R&D. So it's a major challenge. It's a major challenge which has been caused by, um, I would say a handful, it's slightly more than that, but a certain group of people, most of whom aren't professionally qualified anyway, who have been, you know, happily trotting around for the last few years, you know, telling businesses that, oh, well, this is free money. Yeah. Um, It's easy. So rather than, you know, simply attacking the claims that have been made by that group, and it's reasonably identifiable, HMRC have have declared war on the whole thing, which obviously runs entirely against the political requirement to support research and development within our economy. Uh, But that's where we are today. 
that is now to such a degree uh, and there is such a huge volume volume of inquiries open uh, into R&D claims that we've actually formed internally um, a specialist team to really just handle that. So we've got a team of four who are just dealing with HMRC inquiries into R&D. And we've kind of stepped beyond that. So what we've identified is that because it was easy to get a claim accepted because they were just accepted without a great deal of scrutiny. Um, The firms that were making the legitimate claims had become a little bit sloppy. They weren't necessarily ticking all of the boxes they should have done, which did give HMRC a route to inquire into even the fairly watertight claims and, and again, make us jump through all of the hoops to get the relief allowed. So an element of what we're doing is not just dealing with the the HMRC activity on the historic claims, uh, it's also helping to educate the R&D community into what an R&D claim actually needs to look like and what it needs to include. And actually, what is R&D for the purposes of the tax relief? Because that's slightly different to you know, what the layperson's understanding of R&D mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, that's keeping us extremely busy, and I would expect it to really for the next few years. It's interesting that, that when when we last recorded the podcast together, I'm not sure R&D came up at all. I'm not sure it was particularly on the agenda, and that's barely 12 months ago. So, um, obviously, it must have been fairly kind of breakneck speed for that to kind of become... One of the biggest, um, one of the biggest things, and and credit to you in terms of setting up a specialist team to be able to deal with that so quickly um, as well. Um, any other kind of trends in terms of things that maybe weren't really on the agenda twelve months ago that that now really are? Yes, there's so many different nudge campaigns. You struggle to list the sort of the, the individuals that need to look out for that letter landing. Uh, it's more a case of if you've not received one, <laughs> you you're in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, for, for anyone that doesn't understand what what that is, just give us give us a little bit of uh, of detail. Well, as the uh, name suggests, it's a, a letter from HMRC to a taxpayer to nudge them to check their tax position, and usually there is a clue. So, it might, for example, say we suspect you have investments in a specific country. And those ones are interesting because you suddenly receive a lot of calls all related to the same country. So there's like a mass mail out to anybody who might have links to Italy, for example, because they're on the eyes. And then the next month you'll get a country beginning with the letter J, you know, and it it follows a a theme. So it, it feels like it's AI mass mail out and in fact they are also often referred to as one to many letters so the same letter goes out to many often there there is something that has perhaps been overlooked not necessarily deliberately sometimes there's no issue and then of course the taxpayer has to bear the professional fee burden of explaining to HMRC there's no issue so there is a uh, you know, some some debate about whether that's reasonable or not. I think an interesting one recently, well, they're all interesting to us because we're tax geeks, but the particular one I'm going to talk about is interesting because it hit the press in quite a big way uh, over the last couple of months. And uh, typically the, the mainstream media got it entirely wrong. So mm-hmm. this is uh, the nudge letter that went out to people that might sell 
items of second-hand clothing and stuff like that. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about this. Yeah. platforms that do that. Vinted, vinted's a common That's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eBay and, um, and all those kind of things. So what the media said is, uh, oh, well, you know, if, if you're selling clothes online, you know, they're coming after you and you're going to have a huge tax bill, uh, which is absolute rubbish, quite honestly. Uh, you've got to actually be doing it to a scale that would constitute a proper trade and earning proper money from it, you know, selling the kids' clothes on vintage or whatever it is you've called it. Um, no, you, you're absolutely fine. But, you know, there's nothing the media likes more than a little bit of uh, hysteria. So that, that's an example uh, of the sort of thing. That's good to set the record straight on that one because um, you're right, I read about it and I've sold a couple of things on eBay and thought, oh, gosh, should I have, uh, should I have done something with that? So, um, yeah, that's you're good too. absolutely to- fine, James. That's good. That's that's on record. So uh, if I get a letter through the door, I'll be I'll be oh, coming back. Is. <laughs> a year ago, the the bit of the episode that we recorded that really stuck in my mind, Nick, was when we started talking about perhaps the darker side of of, of what you deal with, which was um, more around mental health, some of the issues with the the volume who were within the system in terms of a, a tax investigation who were taking their own life and all manner of, of related issues, which was something I I knew nothing about before I, I sat down with, with, with you. What's that situation looking like at, at the moment? Well, I think this leads us quite beautifully, really, onto the contentious tax group, which was founded by Sarah. So, you know, we've now, between us, got a very high profile within that group because we, we've had a really interesting time in the last year, haven't we, and, and particularly around that subject. Absolutely. So, Sarah, I, I mean, I guess there may be people listening to this that, that don't know some of the background around this. And, and obviously, the conversation feels like it takes a very marked turn when we move on to this this subject. Fill us in a little bit, if you would do, on the on the background of the of the group and um, the sort of things that, that, that it's in response to. Yes. OK. So the idea of the group came about shortly after Nick and I started those monthly half an hour calls that I mentioned and it got me thinking I was running around in various cities meeting contacts who I might have considered competitors back at the late end of of 2021 and one of the reasons I think those discussions were so useful is because we were all quieter than we wanted to be because we were still in the aftermath of the pandemic so initially we all were happy to talk to each other to say you know, I haven't seen much of this lately. Have you? What's keeping you busy? In particular, what activity are you seeing from HMRC? I put the feelers out to about, I think it was seven people I asked initially. And I said, you know, lovely to catch up with you one on one recently, but would you be interested in coming together with others that do the work that we do on Teams? on a monthly basis. So Nick was one of those people and um, a few others, combination of tax advisors and lawyers. And we did that and we kept those meetings going. So we've had two years worth now. And I quickly realised that our discussions would also benefit the wider profession. So we'd have accountants in our network that didn't work on tax disputes themselves a lot, certainly not full time like we did, but they'd still be interested to hear the sort of things we were talking about that their clients might be contacted about by HMRC. So I started to 
Let's sort of briefly summarise our discussions on LinkedIn. That led to others that do the work we do, seeing that there was mention of this group. So the group grew, not because I was targeting people or, or even focused on quantity, but I'd have people come to me and say, what's this group? Can I join? I might still be meeting other connections one-on-one. And it was quite funny because I would never ask people to join because typically I was meeting partners, business owners, and I appreciate time is time is money. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest they join, but I'd mention it in brief. And through those discussions, often people would say, do you mind if I come along? We've ended up with a really wonderful bunch of people, and I still receive requests weekly by others wanting to join. But we have an excellent spread geographically right across the country, and we've even got a couple of people overseas. An excellent spread in terms of professionals. So we have barristers. I think we've got a lady that uh, deals with insolvency. We've got uh, a good split of tax advisors, lawyers, several criminal lawyers on the group. And they're they're all very senior figures. um, And we've got a good spread of size of firm. So we've got the big four accountancy firms on there, Magic Circle Law Firms, and then owner-managed businesses like ourselves. So it went from just discussing the cases we've got on and benchmarking HMRC's decisions. For example, we might have a particularly difficult investigator. Has anyone come across them before? Or we've got a job we want to take to HMRC. Can anybody recommend the uh, best direct contact? So it went from those sort of discussions to thinking, you know, how can we use this group and its profile for the good of the profession to maintain our high standards and for the taxpayer? So last year was uh, particularly exciting because firstly, a big, big change in development was we started to meet face to face. So on the quarter dates, we had a, a big meeting in London where we'd all go in person. I never offered the option of joining virtually because I thought, you know, come and this is what it's Fair about enough. or, or yeah. you know, we'll update you next time on the on the Teams, Teams meeting. We started to wonder if we wanted to bring in guests. For example, we brought in two senior individuals from HMRC's Fraud Investigation Service in September. Very senior, the director and deputy director of of that directorate. And they were very accommodating. They sat round a table with us for two hours, I think more than two hours, Mm -hmm. um, stayed for lunch and basically said we could talk about whatever we wanted to raise and discuss uh, whatever they were able to. And they were very frank and open with us listen to our concerns of what's working, what's not working. And much of that, they, to their credit, had already been considering. And I think they said they presented a paper to their leadership team. So we're looking forward to having them back. We've got them booked in to come back in September. And hopefully we can develop that relationship. They have said that we can contact them whenever needed um, as a direct approach on any of our casework. Then in November of last year, we managed to secure the Houses of Parliament as a venue for one of our meetings. Wow. 
And in addition to that, we um, had an MP come along, one of our members, local MPs, Sam Tarry, and he spent the full two hours listening to our concerns over a range of uh, technical areas. For example, HMRC's conduct in the uh, approach to the R&D claims was one of them. Tax avoidance schemes and the amount of people out there that are still vulnerable and exposed to being sold these things without being given the correct information. The impact of the loan charge, which uh, in particular has been linked to taxpayer suicides. And that gentleman really understood the human impact of all of these issues and asked us if we'd prepare a paper, which he could then present to his shadow cabinet. So... We very much enjoy meeting as a group behind closed doors um, in person and we are utilising the opportunities to bring other parties in if we think that it it will help get action um, to to ultimately help us offer the best best service to our clients and uh, protect their mental health. It sounds like it's it's been a really strong 12 months in terms of raising the profile of the group but also sounds like some real success there in terms of getting the ears of of some 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 really important people are you confident that hmrc will or or maybe already are approaching things slightly differently as a result of that no but we think that ultimately we'll be successful Uh, and just to be a little bit controversial because i never mind being a bit controversial Go for it i think there are direct parallels to be drawn between the way that HMRC operate, certainly in their larger and more protracted investigations, I see a definite parallel with the Horizon post office yep. scandal, which is essentially, you know, a, a monolithic public body that is immensely powerful, almost waging war against, you know, the the individual, uh, whether it be, you know, in that case, a postmaster, in our case, a taxpayer, you know, we still, we still see a complete lack of safeguarding. And we still see far too many HMRC caseworkers who adopt what I believe, and this is the controversial bit, I suppose, is the overall HMRC culture of assuming guilt assuming everybody's at it. You know, one thing we have seen is a huge rise over the last 12 months in the number and size of penalties that have been taken. And they tend to always try to go for a deliberate penalty. So in other words, they want the highest possible penalty, which they can only get if somebody has deliberately not paid tax. Uh, And there does seem to be a blanket assumption that, everything is deliberate. Uh, And if you think about it, that's quite an assumption to make about the UK population. Everybody's a fraudster. Fortunately, the onus of proof for that is absolutely firmly on HMRC. You know, if they believe that there has been deliberate behaviour, and let's not dress that up, you know, that's another term for fraud. Mm -hmm. So if they're assuming that, well, there is fraud there, They've got to evidence that, and that's actually quite hard for them because to evidence fraud, you've got to be able to demonstrate intent. Uh, in other words, what what was in the individual's head. Uh, and whilst there is no doubt there is fraud out there, of course there's fraud out there. 
you know, we're, we're realistic and, and we recognise that. And indeed, quite a few of our clients have committed fraud. And, and you know, we provide them with a defence because they're entitled to a defence under the law. Sure. I dislike the assumption uh, of, of fraud and the assumption of guilt. And I equally dislike, or probably even more, the lack of safeguarding, particularly for the vulnerable taxpayer, when HMRC refuse to budge on their view, despite what the evidence might be suggesting, and become prepared to take the case all the way down the road as far as they possibly can without taking a step back and looking at the overall picture to include the taxpayer's mental health and agree to draw stumps and, and settle on a reasonable basis. But I think you know, the Horizon scandal will help us yeah. because it is shining a light on the way that certain public bodies behave t towards, yeah, let, let's call it as it is, the ordinary people, the normal people. So, you know, ultimately, I think we will prevail. I think it's a it's a fair comparison on on many levels, and um, and was something I was thinking as you were talking, Sarah, thinking that that you know you can kind of start to to pick some bits from that because the um, Horizon scandal, which of course is not new, but does feel like it's only just really got the exposure that it's probably deserved uh, within the last couple of months or so, which was down to a, a, a TV drama, which seems crazy that it's a it's a drama that's actually revealed this new story to a lot of people but of course there'll be a lot of people that didn't realize the post office has the power to prosecute people itself and of course the parallel there being hmrc i assume have the the same power to to do that um i don't know if people are aware of that or or not but i'm interested in asking you what your thoughts are in terms of um whether whether that is correct the answer to that is it's quite a lot, but they are still bound by the law, the same as everybody else is. They are not the law. They are bound by the law, as are the taxpayers. So although they have powers that are given to them by legislation, there are limits on those powers. They frequently overstep those limits, either unknowingly because they're not properly trained anymore, which they're not, or far more disconcertingly, knowingly, they overstep the mark but equally taxpayers have rights uh, that are given to them uh, by the legislation and they get trampled all over now they are subject to scrutiny you know they're quite routinely hauled before the public accounts committee to account for um, the performance uh, of the department but then again so is the post office so you know what you have to consider is well what's being scrutinized what's being scrutinised and how well is it being scrutinised. Mm. Um, HMRC tend to be scrutinised and questioned on things like how long does it take them to respond to a piece of post? And they get rightly criticised that it's a long time. Mm. How long does it take them to answer the phone? How much tax are they collecting? And, and I think they're all legitimate points for scrutiny what I don't think is scrutinised anywhere near enough is their conduct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sarah's just alluded to some of it. Uh, you know, we know it within the profession under the term max tax. So they, they will pursue every penny that they think is legitimately due. But very often 
their view doesn't bear a whole lot of scrutiny uh, and they're going after stuff that quite frankly isn't isn't due so that and the safeguarding which you know does uh, in the extreme cases lead to taxpayer suicide and, and sadly there are quite a lot of those in my view uh, and you know I'm expressing a personal view here isn't anywhere near scrutinised to the level it should be. And this brought it home to me when we were in the Commons uh, back in November because, you know, we we were talking to Sam Tarry, but I think a few of us also individually uh, spent quite a bit of time with, with other MPs that day. Dan Jarvis, in my case, I, I spent about half an hour with Dan Jarvis, uh, who obviously is very local to South Yorkshire, yeah, yeah. the former mayor. The stuff we were talking about was entirely new to all of them, they had no idea that right. this stuff was coming, was going on, which again suggests to me that the the quality of the scrutiny hasn't been there, or otherwise, you know, it's been focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. But we're quite a dogged bunch, the sixty odd of us in the contentious tax group yeah. now. So, uh, you know, I think ultimately we will see a change. What What would you like? And this is a question to both of you. What would you like to see the group go on and achieve this year in twenty twenty four? Well, to begin with, I'll just tell you of uh, an exciting update okay. um, with regards to the group, which should then therefore reflect uh, significant progress in the year ahead. Um, I made an announcement in the last week or so um, that I'd like to introduce a committee for the group. Okay. So my my thinking was, I suppose, firstly, I've been doing everything and administering everything and trying to think about what's best for the members but it, but it's just me and then I've more recently um, asked a group member Tom Wallace to be a vice chair so that's been a great support because I've had somebody to sense check my ideas yep. but I'm thinking well if we want this group to exist forever beyond our involvement in, in this uh, area in our working life then I think what it needs is some defined roles that individuals can step into and then those roles live on. So I've proposed the idea of a committee and um, it will be made up of seven members. My thinking being we need an odd number in case that uh, committee uh, is split on any particular decision. And uh, I'm hoping I'll be able to remember them. But uh, basically, I would retain control unless anybody else wanted this one, of the memberships. So the approach is a request to join. Mm -hmm. I could still offer those one-to-one calls that I already offer to brief people and and check whether it's for them before they then come along um, into the the room with all the members. Um, Tom, as I said, the vice chairman, he is suited to the liaison with the professional bodies, so the main one being the Chartered Institute of Taxation. We've got um, a gentleman called Derek who is uh, tax investigations at KPMG. He uh, tends to be the liaison with the fraud investigation service uh, guests that we have come along. So I'd really love it if he could take the lead on that. Um, At the moment, I'm still waiting for the volunteers. Um, But we need somebody to, to be that person and to coordinate those meetings, agree an agenda. I need somebody to be the media person so that we can have one voice for the group on LinkedIn. We've also got a regular column in an industry-specific magazine, HMRC Inquiries, Investigations and Powers, so that person could take the lead on offering our contributions for that. And in my mind, we might need to engage the media 
on some of the issues we at present are trying to discuss with HMRC, but if we need further support to, to help HMRC, um, not necessarily to be on different sides, then we might write articles uh, and uh, make appearances in other ways. Um, freedom of information requests is another area in which somebody could take the lead so that we're requesting data to help us generally gain more insights into the things that otherwise we might not be aware of, like number of investigations in certain areas opened within a given period. What have I missed? Parliament. That's the one. So we need somebody to take the lead on Parliament and, um, again, the dialogue with the MPs and producing that paper that I mentioned that Sam's asked for. So big news, I'll get that greater support. We'll have people invested in taking the lead on things. That's great. And I suppose what I would like to see is I'd really like it if we could succeed in being instrumental to some form of initiative from HMRC that allows them to clear the backlog of cases, whether that be another amnesty. Um, I think Tom Wallace on LinkedIn recently put the feelers out and, and, and welcomed comments on the idea that if a tax inquiry has been going on for more than four years, it should automatically be closed. Um, it's the sort of a discussion to be had about how you can encourage more taxpayers to come forward and want to disclose things and how HMRC can clear the backlog and focus more on um, freeing up resource and reducing the tax gap. And that might be that on a civil basis, you they only go after 10 years worth of tax rather than 20 that they can currently go after if there's deliberate behaviour. And of course, there will be those serious cases, but maybe they can be suited to the criminal route instead so just an idea but we'll we'll see how we get with those things and um from my own personal view it, it will be nice to see a generation of tax disputes professionals that d- don't know what the world was like before this group existed and uh you know might think to themselves oh you know can you imagine a time when we didn't all share information in this way yeah yeah just a point uh, I, i'm going to emphasize that um from my point of view, I mean, Sarah uh, mentioned the professional bodies uh, chartered Institute of Taxation. And there's an important distinction there because we are not one of those. We exist alongside them, but we're very, very different. So, you know, and we're still evolving. So partly, you know, we, we come together and we share intelligence and information and best practice and all of that sort of stuff. But there's also the part of us that is a pressure group. Uh, around exactly the sorts of things that um, that, that Sarah's just been talking about. Uh, and actually, we come from a number of different professions, really. I mean, you know, the Chartered Institute of Taxation, the Institute of Chartered Accounts, Accountants, Lawyers, the Bar, all of that. So we kind of, we coexist with all of those bodies and we're not representative of those bodies. We're representative purely of, of the tax dispute um, specialism. Uh, I'd call it a profession because it is a profession, but there's not a specific professional body. So whereby the Chartered Institutes of Tax may well, um, you know, be arguing for and, and have axes to grind around the structure of the tax system 
and tax rates and tax reliefs and, and all of those sorts of things. That's not us. That's not us. Um, we're, we're slightly removed from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're more, much more to do with HMRC's behaviours and conducts and structure, um, but as a department um, rather than the structure of the tax code itself. So I'd rather hope that, you know, as time goes on, and I think, you know, last year we already got a long way towards it, uh, we'll become increasingly recognised as, you know, the voice uh, of the tax dispute industry. Um, we already carry weight, you know, as, as Sarah said, we we now have a regular dialogue with the director and deputy director of HMRC's fraud investigation services. We've now got an ongoing dialogue with politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we've got um, the, the tax investigations magazine uh, and routine exposure in that. So uh, I and think James. we build... And James, yeah, podcast. So we'll we'll continue to build on all of that. I mean, on reflection, it sounds like it's been quite a 12 months and um, looks like there's there's a lot of developments to come in 2024. Thank you both for your time. It's been really good to uh, chat through everything that you've got going on. Good luck with the business. Good luck with the group. Thank you for your time. Thank you, James. Always a pleasure. Thank you.